0: You're listening to 4 at the Back with Joe, Pete, Maz and Neil. From the playboys and provocateurs to tiki tacker to Gagan pressing, we'll be looking at some of our favourite cult sides and players from down the years. Shaky on the facts but heady with nostalgia, this is the football podcast you've been waiting for. So finish up your pre-match stretches and go with 4 at the Back.
1: 100 years, Arsenal played their home games at Highbury. In the last two decades playing at the ground, the team won five of their 13 championship titles and one of only two successes at the European level. Then in 2006, Arsenal moved to the new Emirates Stadium. It was heralded as one of the finest new grounds in the country at the time and was thought of as a real forward looking move. But success on the field has been harder to come by ever since. And some people have argued that the cost of building the ground led to Arsenal being unable to compete with the financial muscle of both their 1990s rivals, Man United, and the new money that had entered the game at Chelsea and Manchester City. So today we're asking the question, what if? What if Arsenal had never moved from Highbury to the Emirates Stadium in 2006? How would Arsenal and the Premier League have changed in the last 15 years? I guess you know exactly where we're going, first of all, Maz way in.
2: Oh dear highbury. I mean, you know, I've got to start at the beginning and and a little bit about my fandom because um you know I notoriously have a bit of a distaste for modern arsenal. You know, they're my team, they'll always be my team, and I love them. But um anyone that follows me on Twitter or, you know, listens to me on on more modern episode uh, on episodes of four at the back where we're discussing more modern football uh, knows it's not, not quite the same for me. You know, I I grew up an Arsenal fan. I have memories of, of Anfield 98, watching it on TV and then watching it on VHS over and over and over again to the point where, you know, I knew the commentary inside out. Um, And then, you know, through the nineties, I started to get more and more involved, you know, as, as a kid in, in middle school and in high school. Obviously, uh, football was you know, a bigger and bigger part of, of my life at the time. And um, my brother, who's quite a lot older than me, is also an Arsenal fan. And at 95, uh, I picked picked up a season ticket. We both picked up season tickets. And, you know, 95 to... 2001 Highbury was was pretty much a second home to me you know it was I was forever traveling there and back and you know it was it, it, it was it was just the place to be it was part of my schedule as part of my life you know the rest of my life you know centered around me going to football and yeah it, it was uh, great times and Highbury's such a such a cozy little stadium, and as much as these great stadiums are fantastic state of the art, there's something that I just love about a stadium where one of my favourite things traveling to a way grounds is when you're just driving through these weird little back streets and then suddenly you're right in front of a stadium. And uh, a few few of those pop out to me in my travels. I think Coventry back highfield road that was one that, that really jumped out at me as one where you're just suddenly like wow this is where the football ground is and that's something I loved about arsenal you could with highbury you could literally be you know 100 yards away and not even see it this big huge stadium and yeah sure not as big as the the mega ones today but still by by the old standards very big and I just loved that in the middle of a residential area you know, the walk to the ground. The, these are all some magical things for me. You know, uh, part of my fandom, part of you know me growing up in the nineties, from from a child to a, to an adult, and it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me, and um, you know. I, it wasn't the move from Highbury that that made me start drifting away from football. It was probably around 2003. My life started moving in a different direction and I'd soon leave the country. So the, the last bit of football I I saw um, in the country as, you know, before I, I lived elsewhere for eight years was Arsenal going invincible. So, you know, it, it doesn't get better than that you know I'll always argue the, the pinnacle for me as a fan was there was double in 98 but you know I was there for most of the 2002 stuff and by the invincible season I wasn't a season ticket holder anymore I, I let that lapse unfortunately because I had so many other things going on at the time however you know I was still there I still felt part of that you know felt part of the Arsenal at that point and you know, moving away, leaving the country, you know, you drift away a little bit. You suddenly, when you're seeing these people, you know, in the flesh each and every week, you know, that it's almost like you're, you're part of a family with them and, you know, you know them inside out. And when you just see them, you know, once every couple of weeks on TV, you don't have that same connection with those players. And, uh, yeah, for, for, for me started to drift away but you know when we started to to play at the emirates flashy new stadium yes absolutely but you know uh, by that time it had been you know three years since i'd seen you know the team in the flesh um maybe four since i had been going regularly and it just it 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 wasn't my place you know it, it wasn't it wasn't the place that I'd grown up watching Arsenal and it, it just felt a bit strange to this day. I've never seen a game there. You know, I, I visited, I'd had a walk around when I was down in London a, a couple of years back. And it, it really is a sight to see. And I, and I would love to go to a game at some point if I can get to that point, you know, so I'm not, I'm not totally anti Emirates or anything like that. However, you know, it, it's not my home. It's not my home of football. My home of football will forever be Highbury, And uh it, it, it coins while it coincided with oh, it came a little bit after me drifting away you know it also coincided with the strength of arsenal moving away you know falling down and that that's that's the big key in, in what we're going to talk about here today and you know the big the big idea is of course all the money that went into the stadium being The key part in that and you know from a business point of view from someone that studied accounting and i I can understand that but you know football fans will never look at football like that because it's not what it's about for us
0: it's interesting isn't it because when you look at when you look at that um when you look at that sort of season after the invincible season um You know, they still finished second. Uh, Mourinho came in at Chelsea and, you know, I mean, uh, we we actually did that Mourinho season, didn't we, Um, uh, way back. I think it might have been our third episode or something. And, um, you know, Chelsea only lost one game that whole season. they, They damn near went invincible themselves. So it would have taken some effort for Arsenal to go and do the same thing again (laughs) that they'd done the year before so it's kind of like you know that that sort of um that kind of last couple of years at Highbury wasn't you know it it wasn't like an immediate um step down it 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 did seem to really take hold after you started playing games there um because of course 05 you win the FA Cup and then that ends up being the last trophy until the FA Cup in, what, like, 2017? A bit later than that, it was, uh, 20, was it 2013, 2014. Oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it was the one where... Um, we won so many, I'll lose track of which years
2: they are at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, so it's like the FA Cups. So he you started suddenly winning again at the end of Wenger's reign. And, but it was that long, trophy period then, and, and it did seem like a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a curse. And, and, and you know, I think at the beginning of it all, you know, Wenger still had an eye for a player and he was bringing in these, you know, his eye for these gems didn't really diminish, but he didn't have the money, I guess you'd argue, he didn't have the money to go out and get the big guys to line up alongside. Um, and as he started losing the Vieiras and the Henries, there wasn't really, there wasn't really that kind of level of replacement in there and i guess you know liverpool steal a march on you and they end up becoming you know the team that probably pushes chelsea united a lot more and it's that sort of time period where you become perennial fourth place i suppose
2: yeah i mean you know and it it, it, like you say it, it wasn't an overnight thing you know and the thing is with arsenal is As an Arsenal fan, we not necessarily, aside from once we hit that 98 period for a little bit, you know, as an Arsenal fan, I'm not used to us necessarily challenging for the title every year, but I'm used to us being challenging for the title once in a while, you know, making a serious challenge. And, you know, even through those first few years at the Emirates, we did every now and again, you know, even until very recently. I mean, you can you can go back to 2016 and say, you know, we had a big shot at it then, you know, as, as much as Spurs were the ones that, that, that fell away um, from Leicester, you know, we ended up finishing second again that year. And, you know, if we hadn't lost some key games there, we would have been right in the mix. So, you know, in, in terms of that, the fall in wasn't, it certainly wasn't drastic. And I, I think that's why the, the whole the whole thing with Wenger was I had fans split into two different caps so much because you know it wasn't like we just you know suddenly fell to mid-table obscurity we were there we we were finishing fourth four, you know it, even r- at the end we we weren't you know we weren't mid-table by any stretch of the imagination you know it was you know fourth, fifth, sixth, third, second you know we were there or thereabouts uh, for me what it was is there were just by the end of it we were nowhere near you know putting a a real a real challenge together and every time we got to that point it looked like we would that's when it would all fall apart you know and to me it's no no surprise you mentioned Vieira I I, I think the honorees of this world can come and go you're never going to get an honoree you know Henri is a, a one-of-a-kind player, but you're always going to get top-class strikers. And, you know, we, we, we've had plenty of them since Henri, you know, none as good as Henri, but we, we've had players that, that can do it at that level. I mean, you, you look at Robin Van Persie, you know, he he was our top guy for a few years gets fed up with waiting for a trophy, goes to United and wins them the league. You know, a United team that is in Fergie's last year and is seriously papered over the crack. So, you know, that they're always players, but Vieira, Vieira was the key to me. It, it, it's no shock to think that Vieira's last kick of the ball for Arsenal was the final penalty in the shootout against United in, not in the, 95 in the 2005 Cup Final. And, you know, he kicked that ball in the net. We won a trophy and didn't win another one again for, for eight years or whatever it was. Because he was so much harder to replace. And, you know, Wenger... Wenger Ving, tried. I look at someone like Diaby, and I think if it wasn't for injuries, could could he have been the guy to, you know, to replace Vieira, I think he could have been to a certain extent, you know, as good as Vieira, no. But I, I don't know if anyone would. And then you look at players who finger-missed the boat on you know, Yaya Torre, huge one in, in that early po- in that, uh, uh, early part of the post-Viera Arsenal. Um, the Emirates Stadium and, you know, later on, Not snapping up Kante when he was there, and these are two players that he could have picked up like that. And yeah, one of the things that always bugged me about Wenger in 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 the later years is he don't really go, "Oh yeah, I could have signed him," Uh, 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 and you didn't, mate. You know, and we're not talking about players. You know, we're we're not talking about world class players that were going to set us back huge amounts of money at that time when. And, you know, that's that's where Venga missed the trick. I often wonder it was if it's less to do with, you know, his ability to spot a player, because he could still spot a player, uh, as Neil said. But, you know, it's his ideology of how football was being played as it went on, as he went to the smaller guys, the passing guys, you know, skillful technical players, as opposed to you know, some steel in that midfield, which was sorely, sorely missed. And um, it's still sorely missed now. You know, we're still waiting for it. We we miss it so much to the point where, you know, there's times where Arsenal fans are, are hailing guys like Flamini or, or Coconut as, you know, the, the next great thing. And with all due respect to those players who, you know, both of whom are good, both of whom have had decent careers, you know, they're nowhere near the league of a Patrick Vieira or, 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 you know, the type of player you need to dominate English football in that position. You know, when you look at the ones who, who have done so since, you know, the Makalelis, the, the Yaya Torres, the, the Kantes, you know, they, they, they're not in the same, not in the same league. And, you know, Wenger's, Love of a, a, a of a good technical player. We've we've had some brilliant ones, you know. Some, some who have who have achieved more than others at the club, and you know some that have lived up to potential more than others. But when you look at guys like you know Fabregas in there, Wilshire, um, Hleb, uh, Rozicky, you know, wonderful, wonderful players to watch. Uh, all of them and we've never had a shortage of them however you know we've never had a bruiser next to them and when we have it's never quite been up to the standard or they've never quite worked and you know for me Vieira leaving and never even being close to being replaced properly is 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 the biggest downfall of that time
1: so to cycle back to the what if at the start then um This usually gets put down to money. If if we're saying that you can't really replace a Vieira with cash, I suppose the other question is, is there something about the the idea that they'd still be at Highbury that means this wouldn't have happened? Or do you think that means that this decline, if it always happens anyway, uh, do you think they could have made this stylistic overhaul to this very technical side playing at that old Highbury you know the very hostile, old-fashioned English stadium, or, or do you think that we're, what we're talking about is almost inevitable?
2: I, I think, I think if that's where, I mean, I I don't know how Vinga's gone to this, and and that's the problem. If that's his vision of the game, I think it it probably would have been inevitable. Uh, I also wonder whether it's a case of him just not finding the right player, you know,
0: because It's a bit chicken and egg, this isn't it. Because yeah. if you look at that Invincibles team, it kind of it kind of ends up breaking up really, really quickly in a way that these great teams, like it's quite rare that they kind of just come apart to that extent, you know, because Perez's injuries caught up with him and he wasn't around for much longer. Um, you know, Sol Campbell went a bit mad. And, you know, after that, sort of 06 Champions League final, he ends up going to uh, he ends up going to Portsmouth, if I remember rightly. Um
1: yeah. you, you know, uh, you, yeah, I don't know if directly exactly. there, but yeah but no, yeah, at, goes after a spell at Notts County. That's right, yeah. Just which try... was the the real crazy story that year with the Mido finance and <laughs> all that madness. But yeah, so Campbell goes a bit
0: mad and, and has been a bit mad ever since really, hasn't he? Bless him. Um <laughs> and he kind of then you've got Vieira being sold uh, Henri sticks around as the club captain For a bit longer But after that 06 Champions League final um, He's gone as well um, You know And um, obviously by, by this point You know all of the famous back four Have all gone Keown is now gone um, You know Ashley Cole goes to Chelsea Which as we discussed before Was you know a big blow Like losing Because I mean, that was the one guy That was like from that invincible team Who was absolutely firmly in his prime Was Ashley Cole Um, And and he was and he was gone. And so then you've got the fact they've moved stadium, don't have very much money. And the fact that the board know that Wenger could find a player in a random league um, and probably could put together a side that would be competitive. Because if you've got Henri at one end, you know, you can cobble the rest together. I think that was probably a lot of the thinking. And it, it, I think it just so happened that he found himself with a Hleb, um, a Fabregas. Although to be fair, Fabregas put himself a bit a lot when he was a younger, when he was a younger kid. He found himself with with these players that he'd found. He'd seen the success of Barcelona, um, you know, in that middle two thousands period with, Ronaldo, with Ronaldinho and and Eto and uh, and all those guys. You know, Xavi and Iniesta starting to come through. And I think he I think he kind of, you know, fit what he was doing to what he has at his disposal. And as you say, um, to find that sort of um, imperious midfield general, they were getting quite hard to find, which I think is why Chelsea kept going to Liverpool to try and poach Gerrard, despite the fact that, you know, there was a lot of evidence uh, from England that him and Lampard couldn't play together, but nevertheless, they tried to do it anyway. Um, because those players were becoming increasingly rare, you know, a Patrick Vieira, um, a Steven Gerrard, they were uh, rare commodities, I think. And um, it was going to take a fair bit of money to, uh, to get hold of one. And so I think Think kind of ends up changing the playing style to kind of fit, to fit what he had and then, you know, once Henri on goes, then it really is, you know, quite an inexperienced size. And, you know, you're looking at, you know, Atabayor, Van Persie, you know, young, very talented centre forwards. You know, Herb was an important player, but he ends up going a Barcelona at a certain point. Um and they and then, you know, when Lehman goes, they can't get the keeper right, can they? And that's another big thing is they just can't find <sighs> a keeper. For a for a long time they can't find a keeper and even though like Al and um, uh, and, and, um, and,
1: Chesney, Chesney,
0: yeah, ends up actually being really good keepers. Uh, they're not good keepers while they're at Arsenal. And, um, it's kind of like, I mean, Chesney reminds me of the fact that if, if United hadn't stuck with De Gea, you know, it's that sort of thing where he's clearly a talented guy, but he's making a lot of mistakes and it just got to a point where it was untenable. So, you know, if you look at the spine of that, post 06 ish arsenal team um it is that central midfield area it's the center of defense uh, and it's and it's the goalkeeper and you know as, as you say Matt, they, they could find forwards they could find um you know number 10s um they could find it mean it had to be fair they could find fullbacks but they couldn't Get yeah, that dominant centre midfielder, dominant central defender, dominant goalkeeper. That's what they've lost from that invincible side. And I and I think you know, I almost think Wenger was forced into this sort of you know, um, you know, Islington tiki tacker by what he has at his disposal.
2: Yeah, I guess what you've got there. You, you, I guess you, I guess you want midfielders that can hold the ball if you ain't got faith in your goal in your defence or your your goalkeeper as well. And, you know, I think that's probably, you know, low confidence, breeding low confidence. You know, the keeper don't trust the centre-halves. The centre-halves don't trust the keeper. And, you know, when you've got half-decent ones, they, they start to go off the boil. You know, Al Munea was certainly a, a bit of a disaster. So was Chesney, you know, we had uh, Flappy Handsky come in as well. And, you know, he's well, proved he to be to- a, a more than solid keeper as well.
1: I was just going to say, yeah, he's made like more than 200 Premier League appearances now. It's just another one of these goalkeepers that Arsenal had. And I won't say they, they made mistakes because very rarely did any of these guys look like being good enough. But it turned out that away from that environment, they were good enough to play at this kind of level. Or, you know, are we, where is Chesney? Is it Juve? Yeah. Uh,
2: Chesney's yeah, got Buffon shirt. I mean, you he, can't... he went
1: to
0: Roma first and he kind of, because he did well at Roma, he got the chance at Juve, you know, and... It's funny, Ben Foster is another one that always jumps out to me. You know, Ben Foster at United just looked like the lights were too bright for him. And yet, you look at him um, everywhere else he's been, he's been terrific. Um, You wonder about Dean Henderson, you know, if he doesn't get the shirt off De Gea, will he be another one of these keepers that kind of, you know, just shines away from that top four environment? It does take a different kind of personality because I think in the top four, You know, you might only face one shot in the whole game, but you've got to save it. You've got to save it, and
2: that's the difference, isn't it? You know, if if you're playing for, you know, West Ham, sorry, West Ham fans, you know, I'm just using you as an example here because of uh, Flappy Hansky. But, you know, if, if you're facing 10 shots a game on target and you save nine of them, you've had a good day at the office. You know, you've let in one, yeah, but, you know, you save nine, you know. You let him one when you when you're having one at you. It's a, it, it's a big deal, and all the questions uh, start to get asked. And you know, i were in that transition as well, where you know we're probably starting to face a lot more shots at us during that time as well because of defensive errors and stuff like that. You know, it doesn't help that you've got like you say it starts off with Sol going mental, and then you know, uh, Ashley Cole was obviously a bad bad mistake, but you know we brought in Galas who. Um, should have been good but he was mental and that ended up uh, upsetting out actual good uh, centre half at the time in Colatore and he got shipped out of City which still bugs me of all the sales that Arsenal, Arsenal made during that time selling Colo to to City was, was the one that really annoys me more than anything else um, and you know I, you know, I, I always think for Marlon and Colatore could have been a really top class partnership
0: but it for
1: never quite
2: happened.
0: For Mylan's a strange one, isn't he? Because he looked so good, yeah, in that first that first few seasons, and then he just went. I've never seen a player regress so quickly, and he ends up kind of Barcelona, and he can't get a game for him. Um, yeah, it really is a strange one because he's really odd, strong, strong defender. But you know, I guess
2: sometimes it's a, it's who you're next to as well. You know, it, it, it plays it plays an important part, but we've had so many come in and an out, and you know, like I say, I grew up with Adams, Bold, you know, Keown, and Campbell, and you know, you get to a point in the when it gets to like twenty twelve, and Arsenal fans are hailing, you know. Koscielny as one of Arsenal's greatest ever centre-halves, and I'm like, you're, what are you're you smoking, mate? <laughs> you know, it's it, just because he's better than Scalacci it don't mean he's a he's a world-beater. And you know, uh, I don't know, he left under a cloud, and that that's not a dig at him. You know, he, he's done a good job for Arsenal uh, over that time, but it's just, it, it shows uh, you know, what happened to that position over time, and you uh, it is uh, a lot of players. But, you know, one thing I, I do think about a lot, you know, and it's a lot is made of Arsenal not having the money when the Emirates came to buy these top stars. And, you know, you could still get a bargain. Wenger arguably missed the boat on a couple that he could have had. But then, then the question is, uh, is it more a case of... Could we have kept Patrick Vieira if we'd stayed at, uh, at, at Highbury and not been looking at, uh, you know, finance the Emirates? Uh, could, yep, we, we
0: always...
2: could we have kept Henri? Could could we have not insulted Ashley Cole quite so much?
1: Well, that's actually where I, I could have come in because um, I was just going to say, maybe I could tell you what I think would happen if differently if they hadn't been doing this uh you obviously funding the transfer uh, to the new stadium and uh then maybe you guys could take shots at the idea because uh, basically i think the, the final answer is not a great deal um would have been all that different because what i understand is that they were living somewhat beyond their means financially anyway uh because highbury wasn't one of the biggest grounds in the country as you as you said earlier on you kind of almost happened upon it in this in in north london uh it it wasn't massive by um certainly compared with somewhere like old trafford or it wasn't as big as Stamford bridge or biller park or anfield or goodison you know there's lots of grounds that were bigger at the time and a disproportionate amount was being spent on wages anyway when the decision was made to move out to uh to the bigger ground so ultimately I don't see where the extra money comes from, even if they're not paying for the stadium in the end. I sort of look at it and think, well, they would have had to have bought that wage bill down eventually anyway. If teams like Manchester City are coming in for the Sami and Nasri's of the world and the Colo Torres and Chelsea, have obviously this new money bag side, and they come in and pinch Ashley Cole, Van Persie goes to Man United. Ultimately, if you stay at Highbury, you still can't compete. With that kind of financial muscle, and Arsenal hadn't been a big spending team anyway in comparison with some of these other sides. I mean, their record signing in, was in at the time was in the Invincible season. It was Reyes, and it only cost about two million more, I think, than Alan Shearer had cost Newcastle in 1996. So that they weren't high spending, and certainly in comparison with like Man United, even then, it's just there was fewer teams that were big spending. Now all of a sudden, you've got these new sides coming in. You still wouldn't have been able to compete with them because you wouldn't have had the matchday revenue. You still would have lost sides; these players to sides that was to, had the feeling that these other teams were going somewhere. And in the grand scheme of things, not a lot would have changed. The only way I could see it coming off that strategy of staying at Highbury coming off would have been if you could have somehow managed to win enough to grow the brand that the matchday income didn't matter. But that feels to me like a very... Two thousand and one Leeds United way of going about it, and you could have been even worse off.
2: I'd I'd, 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 I'd counter the the match day revenue stuff in that. Yeah, okay, we're only two thirds of the, the amount of people going in the stadium as as some other clubs, but we're bloody charging a third more anyway. So you know, surely that evens out at some point. But you know, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of of, of Arsenal's revenue. You know, I do know we we like a bargain. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we're, we're not going out and spending millions and millions of pounds and breaking transfer records. I mean, we've done that more now with buddy Pepe, which uh, turned out to be a good, good use of money. But, um, you know, if the management's good, you know, and by the management, I'm not talking about Wenger here. I'm talking about what's going on upstairs. And, uh, I'll I'll dive into this a little bit more uh, soon. But you know, if you're growing the brand, which they've obviously done, they've they've had this deal with the Emirates. Even if we've not sold to, you know, we we've not sold to billionaires who are going to throw everything at the club like like your Chelsea's or your cities, you know um there's good stuff going on no we don't have united or um liverpool's fan base globally however we have a strong base space globally that, that would have been growing and growing and growing as the popularity of football was rising at that time so you know it, it would have been something to capitalize you know go anywhere in africa and you'll see arsenal shirts arsenal fans all over the place you know so maybe not quite um going into the money bags of, of southeast asia with it like liverpool and united but you know we're there you know h- historically certainly at that time you know we're the third club in the most supported league in the world uh, in terms of fan base globally i'm pretty sure um so you know there's the potential to keep it going there uh, even if if we're not we're not moving it and you know, it, 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 the, there are a lot of moving parts to keeping that club going. And, and you know, uh, I've mentioned Vieira as a big, big loss that I don't think we ever recovered from. And, you know, when when you look at upstairs, uh, away from Venga, you know, David Dean has got to be mentioned as a, a big, big reason in in Arsenal's, you know, slow decline over the last 15 years.
1: As you just mentioned, mentioned Vieira there, I just wanted to jump back in and sort of clarify what I was saying a bit, because it sort of feels like that's not a million miles away from the point that I was making, which is Arsenal weren't massive spenders. You go out and you get Vieira really for a steal. You know, it's identifying that player that was better than people had given him credit for and turning him into the powerhouse midfielder of the Premier League for a pittance. You can't keep doing that. You know, eventually there's just not that many of that type of player available on the cheap. And what had changed is the financial landscape of the Premier League in the two or three years before, before the, the stadium move. So I guess what I'm saying is that the stadium move is kind of irrelevant to that. You still had to replace those players and you wouldn't have had any more money in which to do it. That's kind of why I, why I feel like it, it's a bit of a not so much a non-question as, as less of a factor than people like Arsene Wenger subsequently made it out to be. Yes, his hands were tied, but the job still kind of had to be done. And it's not like there was all this money floating around in the first place. The job, money almost feels irrelevant to it somehow. And I think... in, a, in a weird way, the point about Pep that you made and you know how much money you got wasted there later on, it almost kind of adds to the irrelevancy of it because it's so easy to throw that money away.
0: I think as a Spurs fan, I've got an interesting perspective on this because um, I've just lived the same thing essentially over the last you know, five years in that, you know, I've just watched uh, Maurizio Pochettino um, build, you know, a vibrant, exciting team that was just, just that tiny uh, player or two away from um, being title winners um, and, you know, historically for 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 my club to compete at that level is something i hadn't experienced before really and um of course the building of the new stadium meant that he had to basically run the same squad into the ground over the over the kind of last three seasons that he was there and of course what you ended up with was a burnt out manager a burnt out squad you know ericsson's gone um you know looks like you know Larice won't be there much longer the Tongan's gone and the basis of that great pochettino side is basically you know the nucleus of it is kind of gone you know delhi has gone off the boil and so on so i've kind of i've kind of had i've kind of lived a a sort of similar thing and it it, you know it is frustrating when you feel that you're i mean in, in in my case like my club uh was just that step away from being a title winner in Arsenal's case, it's almost going the other direction. It's like you're going, you're, you're on the, the way down as opposed to on the way up, but it's a similar, it's a similar thing. And I think in both cases you understand why the stadium move had to happen because of course, you know, uh, both Highbury and White Hart Lane were, um, you know, 19th century football grounds, really, you know, they, you know, they were in, in the middle of, middle of a residential area and all the rest of it. And it, and it, kind of um you know there wasn't any space for any more seats than you could fit at that point in time and you you kind of uh, have to look to the future at a certain point and kind of secure your future but you are mortgaging your kind of current success um in favor of future success and that never goes down necessarily all that well um with a fan base because I because I think with Arsenal it's not necessarily the couple of years after the move It's the decline following that and the excuse that was constantly given to Arsenal fans, as I understand it from knowing quite a few was that, you know, this was a period of of belt tightening. It's almost like, you know, national austerity has been (laughs) since like 2008 or whatever. It's like, Oh, we've got a period of belt tightening, but then the shackles will be off. And, great success will follow. And of course it hasn't really far a couple of FA Cups. And I think probably that's what frustrated Arsenal fans more than anything else. It wasn't necessarily that they didn't compete with the Mourinho Chelsea and, you know, that that sort of Ronaldo Rooney United team. Um, and even with Benitez's Liverpool. It wasn't necessarily that era. I think it was the the era following that where it was basically guaranteed they would be fourth every year and that fourth place ended up being celebrated like Mm. a trophy and I think for Arsenal fans that was very very difficult to take now you know coming from a club and Pete I'm sure you feel the same you know fourth place is absolutely a trophy for either of our clubs (laughs) but it, it, it isn't for Arsenal and I think probably that's what frustrated them more than anything else.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. The, the word that you used in there that I think I would just reiterate, though, and, and this informed my feeling about the whole thing, is that it was their excuse. And that's ultimately what I think it is. I don't think it changes anything too, uh, too, too dramatically, the, the the move in terms of the finances and how they would have spent, because that wasn't who the club was anyway. It's a more underlying philosophical thing that was never dealt with. And it was just too easy to say, oh, it's the stadium and the money. And, you know, maybe... Maybe the only solution they could have had was to, to spend more. But to be honest, that hasn't. We've seen them massively open their the wallets in more recent years since they uh, paid off a certain percentage of the ground. And I don't see Arsenal getting much better over the last five years. Do you?
0: Guess that's Dean the They waited
1: so long. You know, mm.
0: they waited so long to you know release the cash, and by that point, I think they were so far behind. You know, like mm. they go and spend. They go and spend that that you know huge amount of money on on Meza Erzul and um, you know and, and I guess no podcast probably has enough time to, to document Meza Ozil and, and Arsenal, but, <laughs> but 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 um, you know it's it's that sort of it's not like when you you go and pick up Dennis Bergkamp uh, at a point where the Premier League is in that embryonic stage of totemic foreigners that completely change a club you know and let's not get it twisted Bergkamp completely um completely changed that club like having a player of that level completely you know lifted Arsenal I think in that kind of um in that period um it's not quite the same by this point because everybody is already so far advanced and um you know buying that that flair player who actually Wenger could usually find on the cheap, let's not forget. It, I mean, it's almost like the money was ends up being spent in the wrong places. You know, it, it wasn't being spent on a goalkeeper. They went and got a declining pet a check from Chelsea for free. Um, it wasn't being spent on a centre half. And, um, you know, it's that, yeah, they only got Rob Holding for no money at all from Bolton. So it's, it's kind of... Um, almost like they'd waited too long. And by that point, everybody else was miles ahead. Like at this point, even Spurs were miles ahead.
2: Yeah. And uh, you know, that brings me back nicely to, to exactly where I was going. Uh, when, when, uh, Pete jumped back on Vieira in that David Dean, um, was by all accounts, a big, big part of that Arsenal transfer process at the time and now we've got all the edus and whoever else looking after that but you know by all accounts a lot of the time it was it was Dean and Wenger working together who had a fantastic relationship and you know they got it done suddenly a lot of it was in Wenger's own hands and he never seemed quite as confident in doing all that transfer business on his own. He, he never quite seemed to fit the bill. He seemed to take less risks with people. And when he did, it was always, again, like you say, it was all that money on a nozzle when, you know, we we needed a, you know, a defensive midfielder. And constantly that that is what would come up, you know, even, at the points you know oh, we're going to bid for 40 million and one pounds on on luis suarez because it's gonna <laughs> trigger this uh, this uh, clause that isn't actually a clause and um you know the conspiracy theorists will say you know we we said we'd do that and we only did it just to appease arsenal fans but you know as much as we, i'd have loved to have signed luis suarez at, at that point it still wasn't the area of the team that desperately needed fixing. And that happened a lot. So I guess uh, the argument is, is, you know, we were still spending money, you know, and uh, I I agree with Neil in that, uh, you know, these players uh, of Vieira's ilk were a lot harder to find. You weren't going to, you know, in 1996, you could go and find Patrick Vieira rotting in, in AC Milan reserves as a 19 year old and know he's about to become a world builder builder and be a world beater <coughs> and throw <clears throat> three and a half million quid at him. And, you know, you've got the spine of your team sorted for the next decade, you know, by uh, the, the, there's just too much information out there by, by 2006 to be able to do that. And uh, to have nobody know about this this guy and just walk in and grab him. However, you know, there were still bargains to be had, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to Yaya Toure and, and, um, and Golo Kante, who who were proof of that. And, you know, sure, you're not going to get one like that every single time you go out there. You, you're going to have a hit and miss ratio, but Fenger always did. You know, not not every signing he made was of Patrick Vieira. You know, there there were always three or four others that that weren't quite making the grade and, you know, never quite paid off for every, you know, Fabregas that he went out and poached. There was another three or four, you know, promising youngsters who who never made the grade. And, you know, probably uh, as we see it in the world today, one or two that he let go and came back to haunt us and like, why didn't we keep that? But, you know, you, uh, 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 that I won't hold against him, but you know, there always seemed to be money for a marquee signing, but there was it, it might not have been a huge amount of money, you know, by, by the standards at the time, but there was always money for a marquee signing, but it was always the wrong type of signing. Um, and
0: I think, in that yeah. sense, you know, you can look at Vengas, you know, the manager, that I think. You know, and it's weird because, you know, they couldn't be more different in terms of their real life personality. But in terms of their situation, you know, the way that Wenger was that club by the end, you know, he designs the training ground, you know, he has meetings with the architects about the stadium. Um, You know, he had an eye on absolutely everything that happened in Arsenal Football Club. Wenger had his eye on you know he wasn't a football manager really he was a he was a CEO right as well as as well as coaching he he had you know this sort of you know level of power which football I just don't just don't have anymore um, uh, and you know in his declining years you know it's kind of he still embodied the club and it's It's interesting that when he left, you know, they tried to go to this kind of continental system with, you know, chief scouts and directors of football and so on. And and it didn't work. And now Arteta is basically doing what Wenger did because the club doesn't seem to work going a different way because it it ran under Wenger's model for so long. But that's a really roundabout way of saying that, you know, Wenger's last five or six years, um, it's basically Brian Clough at Forest that's i think you know the the comparison that i'd make you know a guy who had done so much for the club clearly was in decline but there was far too much um far too much sentiment and far too much kind of um i guess importance placed on the way the club run being almost like they couldn't run it without him that um that they kind of let him go on just that little bit too long, um, and I guess you know the ground is open. They're letting loads of fans in. They're making money. They're qualifying for the Champions League, and and, and I think probably that's what frustrated Arsenal fans more than anything else because they really, they, I don't think they cared about the Champions League. I think they they wanted to win stuff.
2: No, you know, I'll say that we've never won the Champions League. It bugs me that Chelsea have won it. It bugs me that you know Liverpool won it even when they were rubbish and (laughs) and it it bugs me that that, that united have done it and but that said league first every single time every single season you ask me what i want to win i want to win the league and you know maybe if we win it five years in a row i might change that to the champions league then but you know if i could win one thing every season it will always be the league
0: what if they'd won that 06 champions league final that's another i mean you know it's something I've always wondered about, because I remember watching that game, right, and when Lehman got sent off, it was so early in the game, um, and it was, you know, probably one of the best performances under Wenger, because it was like, playing against 10 men against that Barca team, and to come that close, you know, to basically get, you know, shithoused by a Henrik Larsson substitute cameo. Um I don't know, if they win that game, does it change anything? I don't
2: think so. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, Vieira's gone at this point already. You know, we have that magnificent moment where uh, we score a goal against um, against Juventus at Highbury with um, with Robert Pires doing a full-on Patrick Vieira slide-tackling midfield on him and... and and setting off on the counter, uh, but you know, it everything surrounding the club at that point is still the same. I mean, arguably, could you imagine Sol Campbell had won the uh, won the Champions League final with a header? You know, maybe maybe he doesn't go mental. Possibly, you know, maybe he goes even more mental. Maybe his whole going mental started in '98 when he thought he'd won that the game against. Um, argentina <laughs> maybe it's like, I'm not maybe maybe it happening again has sent him over the edge uh, I, mean, I don't know if, but you if know
0: his instagram any time recently then you'll see that that being mental is very much a key part of his character
2: yeah no absolutely and you know i guess the question is does on leave you know but does on leaving change much at that point you know it's an asian Henri. Yeah, he he'd have still been good for a, for a couple more seasons, but you know, would would it have changed much? You know, uh, I, I, I I think not. I think not. I, I think it's pretty much the same. All, all it will change is we'll be able to say well, we won the Champions League. Ah.
1: Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, I, and it, you said something a few minutes ago, which uh, it's actually struck me, and it's quite close to what I, I think, which was. The problem wasn't that there wasn't money. I mean, you were never going to have Chelsea money, Man City money, but there was still plenty of money. I didn't want to, when I made the case earlier on, make the case of Arsenal crying poverty or anything like that. But there there there's still the money to spend and it was in the wrong areas. And I don't think the stadium changed that. I think you still, if you and not what money you had, would have gone into the wrong areas. And in a weird way, I think if Arsenal, with that side that was becoming the more technical side, had gone out and passed without Vieira past Barcelona to death, I think if anything, it could have made the tendencies that came on in those next few years, the, the, the move away from signing the next Gilberto Silva, who is arguably as important as a player to lose as Vieira by the end. I think that might've intensified that rather than solved the problem. And yeah, I think you're right as well that losing Henri at that stage, could you have kept him from going to Barcelona? Even if you'd won the league, most people want to play for Barcelona if the chance comes up. Um, yeah it's he was already 30 odd by that point wasn't he so you have to think again you could probably look at some of this stuff and say yes it might change certain things there would be odd little moves here and there but i look at the idea of there being some fundamental shift and i just don't see it and i don't see it if they win the champions league either
0: i guess i guess it's a profile thing though isn't it In, in a lot of ways right um Like I think Henri leaving uh even more than Vieira leaving was like it was like a blow to the club's prestige, you know? That there was somewhere bigger and brighter that um he wanted to go to play for. And, you know, it it was kind of a sense that, well, I'm getting on a bit, I'd better go and win some more stuff because I'm not gonna win anything here. You know, there was a bit of that about it too. Um so I guess it has, a, it has a symbolic value, doesn't it? Um, you know, and I guess the difference was is that compared to Ferguson, you know, Wenger wasn't that one who ruthlessly moved on um, players that had been stars for him. If you look at a similar time frame, you know, Ferguson uh, gets rid of Roy Keane around this time with without a single sentimental glance. No, uh, it's like
1: a guillotine, isn't it? It just it just it falls and he just decapitates his nineteen nineties iconic captain and the didn't they really were on bad terms for quite a while
0: after that. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you know, he just there you go, right, sorry, off to Celtic you go. Um and and you know, he, he'd he already drummed out Beckham, um you know, and you can go all the way back in you know, Kanchelskis, Hughes, like th- he had no, no sentiment whatsoever, you know. Um, and even when, you know, someone like when, it, when he lost, um, you know, when he lost Ronaldo and that's probably, you know, one where he passed on really good terms with him. It was kind of like, give me one more year and then I'll let you go to Madrid. Um, and even when he when he lost Ronaldo, he 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 had a plan and he, you know, um, still won a bucket load more titles after that because he was always kind of moving. And I guess the thing with Benga is that, you know, that great side, some players of which, you know, were there for uh, the 98 double, the O2 title win and the Invincible season. Um, and he he didn't I guess he didn't really um, recycle. Looking back, he didn't recycle the side or he didn't bring in, you know, big name competition for the key players and um, even before the move and actually maybe at the heart of it maybe that was the issue
2: and you know it kind of set a tone as well you know Vieira going you know Henri going Cole going like you say Ferguson decided when it was time uh, for them to ship out whereas Arsenal players were suddenly deciding it's time to go and you know that has become a big symptom uh, of of our top players just saying, we're leaving, all right, we've had enough, we want to go and win some trophies now. Except for Ozil, of course, but like you say, that could be a, a whole 10-part uh, podcast in itself. But, you know, from Fabregas to Van Persie to, you know, Alexis, it, 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 it's going on, we're currently having it with, you know, you know we had it with Aubameyang last year, and, you know, that, that will... That will pop up again, again, I'm sure, because it just seemed to be the rinse repeat of the few years. It's like become Arsenal's best player, become Arsenal captain, leave to go to a better club because you want to win stuff.
1: I think part of the issue is that you don't get the time to, you don't get the time to build anymore, um, because someone will come in and, for the lack of a better description, buy Munich your best players if you're doing things too slowly. Uh, you, you almost have to have everything come together in a much shorter space of time. So just kind of thinking, you know, the, the, there was always one Arsenal player that somebody like a Man City could come in and do- offer to double the wages of and put you back almost a square one. And I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure if that was quite the case 15, 20 years ago where you could have a site that took two, three years to to develop. I also wonder if there's maybe a little bit of the... Obviously, there was a, the uh, the uh, arson out versus in arson. We trust camps that you mentioned earlier on, and I wonder if there's perhaps a bit of a divide between the newer fans who have only experienced football under Arsene Wenger and were quite signed up to his you know aesthetic football ideas that maybe. Maybe that split the fan base a little bit, whereas there were quite a lot of Arsenal fans who would rather win the title playing ugly if they, if they were used to the kind of older team. I don't know. 100%. 100%. Uh,
2: a, a lot of the friction between Arsenal fans is, uh, you know, and I tend not to get into it. I, I don't go to any uh, AFTV. Uh, I try to avoid it as much as I can on Twitter, <laughs> but every now and again, it, it's embarrassing. Uh, to be honest, it, it's that's more embarrassing as an Arsenal fan than... than any of our performances, 8-2 at Old Trafford? no nah, AFTV. that's what I don't want, that's what I don't want you to know who I support. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there is very much a, a, a clear culture of younger Arsenal fans who don't know anything but Wenger. And, you know, the only game I've been to in the last, you know, 16, 17 18 years, however long it's getting now, you know, I, I could actually, you could actually see that on, on, on the stands or well, stands aren't really a thing, are they these days? But uh, just, just to prove my old schoolness, I'll use the terminology, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's very much a camp of people. And um, as Neil said earlier, you know, Arsene Wenger was Arsenal. He, he everything about the club had, had become finger at that point. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of the uh, younger fans... Thanks, mate. Nice revving out there as my, as I have to keep my window open. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think a lot of the newer fans feel that Arsenal Football Club is Arsene Wenger. And that, a lot of resentment comes from, you know, the older fans who have been there. Who have seen George Graham win it dirty not very long before Wenger was there. we would seen, you know, George Graham park Parker bus to, to free cup victories in two years, you know, literally two, three years before Wenger came in, We'd seen us, you know, win a, a title in 1991, you know, five years before Wenger arrived, you know, playing beautiful football and, you know again one one match away from being invincible and you know from 89 you know just seven years before Wenger came not a long time at all uh you know that night at anfield and you know which is not just about the madness of of scoring that goal but just how dominant a, a, a team liverpool were at that point in time um so, yeah, I, I think fans who were watching Arsenal before 96 definitely um, held a resentment to the, to the idea that that Wenger, um, you know, was the be-all and end-all of the club. And, you know, that's with having the utmost respect for everything that he's achieved at Arsenal. But it got very, very frustrating. And, you know, new stadium, sure, t- taking us into a new era, sure. Football was very, very different uh, in 96 than than it was in, you know, 2018. However, you know, I'd always point to the fact that Bruce Riach had us finish, you know, fifth in the league and qualifying for the UEFA Cup, which is exactly where Wenger left us. So, you know, (laughs) I, I know it's not that simple. I know there's a lot of other things around there, but, you know, the the most simple way to measure it you know he left us in the same state that he joined us in and you know you can't take away those memories Uh, those memories of those first eight the the first half of his you know tenure with us uh, are just you know on on another level you know those eight years make him the greatest Arsenal manager of all time However, you know, if he was two different managers, what would those second eight years make him?
1: So it feels like we're sort of uh, running this one towards the the end now. So I thought I'd, uh, I've kind of declared how I feel about it. So rather than me take up too much of it, I thought we could finish off by returning to the central question and I'll, I'll reframe it slightly differently. If Arsenal didn't, move do you think that they would have won a title after the kind of 2004 invincible series season that they didn't win obviously that's the last time they, they took one so do you think they would have another title at least one more title to their name or not and if you do what do you think is the year that they potentially missed out on that you could attribute most to that move It's a very, very tough question. And I think
2: a lot of it would have been what happened in those first two or three years. I, I, I think if we won a title in that time, I, I, I think the trajectory might have been a lot better. I, I think not winning one and continuing down that path made it harder. I think moving the stadium probably meant in those first maybe three four years, if we if we'd done something there, you know, if we could have maybe kept kept someone for an extra year, maybe signed one extra player, one the right player at the right time, it might have been. But I think it's very hard to say definitively that it's all down to the stadium move I think there are a lot of factors in there and you know if a couple of them had gone the other way it might have changed the path
0: I think like all of these things it's it's a snowball effect and had for example had they retained the title that they won in the invincible season in Mourinho's first season you know Mourinho goes into Chelsea with all of that swagger and it's really interesting because he plays uh, a whole load of mind games with Wenger. And it's really interesting because Wenger never, ever got wound up by Ferguson, really. Um, it tended to be the other way around. Uh, but Mourinho just seemed to have Wenger's number in what, for whatever reason. And I always remember that hilarious quote from Mourinho about Wenger must be a voyeur with a telescope in his garden because he's always talking about Chelsea. Um, and, and it kind of felt feels like to me, you know, if Mourinho doesn't win the title in that first season and he just becomes, you know, another Chelsea manager that, that spends money and doesn't win it uh, and Chelsea remain this sort of upstart club that everybody just sneers at because they spend money and haven't won a thing um, and Arsenal retain their position as a traditional power alongside man united but i think maybe things go a little bit differently even with the stadium move um but mourinho breaking that arsenal and man united duopoly i think has really wide-ranging consequences for the rest of the league and it kind of it shows teams like man city that it can be done um because there was a time when you didn't really think anyone but United or Arsenal would ever win the title again. Um, so it, I think that is the key moment, really. Um, I think if Arsenal win the title in Mourinho's um, in first season, what's that, 04, 05, and if they maybe win that Champions League in 06, I don't know, maybe you're just on a different path. Um, so. Yeah, it's one of those it's one of those things where it's a lot more complicated than just the stadium move. I think there's a some other momentum related factors in there too.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh certainly with the other factors, which as I've already said, I think are probably more important. I mean, there's a really intriguing alternate universe where Chelsea don't win the league in Mourinho's first uh first season. I think Arsenal probably do win it then because I don't remember Man United being any great shakes that year and uh, as you've mentioned maz um liverpool won the champions league while being pretty crap uh unless we think that somehow the inability of chelsea to win the league leads to a sudden uptick in form at uh, a thomas gravison inspired everton i think you can safely say it would have been arsenal that won the title but um that does also feel to me like a slightly different what if you know what if um Mourinho didn't win so perhaps we'll do that one another day uh so I'd just throw a slightly different one in there because I don't think they would they were going to win the league in that next few years um they they felt like they were definitely setting best to Mourinho at first and nothing was going to change that and then the Ferguson Man United project got a few years along. that this is a project that really started 2003 2004 and um with the signings of ronaldo and and rooney and so on so that's kicking on so i don't think they can really do it until 2010 at the earliest um i would probably say that just when they've got clear of of us and they were fending off us every year and constantly just keeping uh keeping the villa out of the champions league places despite us outspending them by a power of about three to one i think (laughs) if i had to highlight one year where it was maybe a missed opportunity in that it's possibly the 2010-11 season where they were they they went quite far in both cups and they were in the title race until about February which was pretty unheard of for them by this point and then they just fell away in that last third of the season so I'd say that's probably the most likely I don't know if uh, if that is something you would agree with or not but
2: <laughs> they're all a bloody blur to me at that point by that point, it's like I'm so detached. It's all like you know I, I can pinpoint stuff from 1990 to like 2006, 2007, the exact year, exact month, exact time, you know. Whereas stuff post that period, it, it just all blends into one. Really, it's it, it, it's hard. But I know there were a few years where we we were pushing it in uh, in um in February, and then we just absolutely fall apart and that's where you know that is where i started to really lose track of you know lose my faith in Venga because you know he he was someone that always talked about the spirit of the club and it disappeared you know his teams no longer had that by that point uh, and it was clear by just how we would you know, absolutely fall apart at key stages so often and could never be a, a good side away and would, you know, get honked on occasions as soon as we'd let one, one or two in. We totally lost that, you know, you know, arguably what he inherited from from George Graham's arsenal in terms of Tony Adams and, and that back four uh, and had bought in with, with Patrick Vieira, uh, that mentality type of player. that that was infectious to the whole club you know it's it it almost goes back to like like i was saying and you know you get your best player suddenly becomes your captain and i've never been one for necessarily believing that should be the, the 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 case your star player shouldn't be your captain your top goal scorer shouldn't be your captain it's the guy that that understands your club or or has that heart should be a captain. I hate seeing players that that shouldn't be captains as captains. It's one of my biggest bugbears in football. And, you know, while I understand what it's done a lot of the time, you know, I think Arsenal actually ended up at a point where we didn't have any captains and that that was a problem. So it it just made sense to put it on our best player at any particular time.
1: Right then. Uh, If that's Everything. I think we've come to the conclusion that had Arsenal moved, there probably wouldn't have been a tremendous amount of difference unless there'd been a little bit of a change in the decision making process, both from, both from Wenger and from the board and the people above him. And I think uh, Maz was pretty spot on when he said they never qu- quite replaced David Dean. Uh, We're going to be taking a little break from our usual run of things over the next couple of weeks. So we haven't forgotten about our promise to bring you Joe Royals, Everton side of the mid-1990s. But there'll be a slight delay on that, and we'll have some more unusual content like this over the next couple of weeks instead. So we hope you enjoyed that. We hope you enjoyed it today, and we'll see you again soon.